recorded at the Food About Town studio. This is episode two of the Black Button Podcast, and sitting across from me is a fine gentleman. And I'm oh, glad I don't know to, about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to have happy to have him back in the studio, Jason Barrett. Owner, do you have any fancy titles? Or you just owner. Uh, I actually even have a new title. So wow! It's, it's owner, head distiller, and warden rectifier of Black Ooh, Button Distilling. That's a great last title. Yes, it yeah. has it has a great old school cachet to it. Well, that's because the worshipful company of distillers that was founded in England in 1638 conferred it upon me six weeks ago. Really? Yeah. So what did it take? What did it take to become that? So you have to get nominated by another person in the industry, uh, pass a series of tests, and then get character references from other folks in the industry, and then send in product for evaluation by the board of Warden Rectifiers. So there are only five Warden Rectifiers in the United States, and we have two of them, actually, that at is, Black Button Distilling. That is and, cool. Yeah. Myself cool. and Jeff Fairbrother. Very nice. Yeah. I mean, that that's just, a, one, a cool thing to be. Yeah. And the fact that they they look at your product, too, gives it more than just a superficial signifier. Yeah. I mean, and it was just really nice to reach the highest level of distilling on this and the European continent. That's pretty badass, man. Yeah, we're having a good time with it. <laughs> That's exciting. So, I mean, we talked a little while back in the first episode. Uh, we, did, we did gin in the first episode. Yep. And uh, we're coming up on a, some time has passed, and... Black Button's been doing a lot of things recently. We have. That's that's part of what's been the delay. We've been going a little crazy. We uh, installed a new still, twice as large as the still we previously were running. So now we're running the two side by side. So we now can actually produce 1,000 bottles a day of wow. our products. Uh, we're not quite running at that speed yet, about about 500 bottles a day. But um, we're getting there. And, uh, and it just it took a lot of engineering to get that in, a lot of, you know, manufacturing to get the pieces to fit just right uh and now uh we're we're still working uh through getting it fully up to speed uh we've been getting about a 40 percent increase in efficiency week over week so it's a pretty steep learning curve so i mean yeah increasing volume like that has to be an interesting challenge it really is uh, and it's amazing the things that you know worked really well when you were making you know 500 or a thousand bottles a week and now that you want to do that per day things that don't work so well hmm. um you know you need more storage for this and oh crap that's in the way so we uh we've been really redesigning everything and searching for more warehouse space uh because the ten thousand square feet is all of a sudden becoming rapidly uh very tight uh, wow when ten thousand square feet becomes small yeah i mean when we moved into the the our first home at 85 railroad street and we had five thousand square feet i was like oh this is so big. <laughs> and 18 months later, we picked up another 5,000 square feet a uh, little ways down the road. And I was like, oh, 10,000 square feet, lots of space. We're now looking for another 10,000 square feet. I mean, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, the barrels just, they take up a lot of room and you want good air circulation around them. So you can't really pack them in there too tight. And, uh, and then you need room for activities. Absolutely. Well, and speaking of activities, um, your area right on Railroad Street has exploded yes. in the last, you know, in the last few months. Yeah, and now we have Boxcar um, Donuts. Boxcar Donuts is open, yep. and Bitter Honey will eventually be open. Yep, and your whole area is becoming quite the entertainment district. Yeah, it's really prospering. Uh, they're doing some great things next door. Um, Roebuck Brewing is also expanding. 
Um, I actually hear we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be renting a little space in the back of the building to someone brewing kombucha tea. Very cool. So that'll be neat. And uh, and new restaurants have been opening, and then they just they're just about ready to wrap up the uh, expansion of the public market. So that the, new the, building, new building is beautiful. Yeah, the B shed's almost ready, and so they'll move everybody from D shed back to B shed, and then mm-hmm. have more space for new vendors. Uh, and Fiorello's. Uh, the uh, Italian place in the market is open. And so good. Yeah. So it's it's quite a lively uh, crew we've got down there. I think it's really turning into the, I mean, it's been a destination for a long time, but I think it's turning into the foodie destination that Rochester deserves. And we're happy to be a part of it. And I think you are. You're kind of one of the cornerstones. I, that's what we're trying to be. Absolutely. And um, you guys recently opened, not not that long ago, you guys opened your Buffalo location of your tasting room. Yeah, only two weeks ago. So uh, we found a great little space down at the corner of Michigan and Swan Street, uh, right near Canal Side and near the Buffalo Sabres Stadium. And uh, it had been a bar uh, called Handlebar that catered to a bicycle-themed crowd. Of course. So... A biker bar, but bicycle biker <laughs> bar. <laughs> a little um, less, a little less intimidating, perhaps. Yes. Yes. Um, but very nice people. <laughs> I'm um, sure. But they decided they had other interests, and so we actually bought the bar entirely, uh, closed it down, um, renovated uh, the parts that we wanted to update. But we had really good, solid bones. Uh, you know, the the bar was there. A lot of the equipment for the kitchen was there. Uh, so we cleaned everything, painted everything, and opened back up June 9th. Uh, when we opened at 11 a.m., we had nine people waiting out front and That's a great. nice, steady crowd all throughout the day. And then last week, we uh, we actually served as the official pre-party for a, a concert that was happening at Canal Side. So that was super busy. So uh, we're just starting in Buffalo, but we're rocking and rolling. And we uh, actually have hired a couple of sales reps out there to to help uh, you know, spread the word and get us into bars and restaurants and liquor stores and really be rocking and rolling. That's great. I mean, it's all that's also a great area to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, that harbor area has really undergone quite the quite the evolution over the last few years. Yeah, and we're about to get um, the U.S. home of Labatt Brewing. So I'm sure that will bring a lot of people downtown. Really? That's going right in that area? Yep. And then a, uh, a worldwide cider bar that's going to have over 500 ciders is going to open like two blocks from us. Oh, that, what a great fit. Yeah. That's a great fit having something like that right near you. And, I mean, you're near some of the great restaurants of Buffalo as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, it's hard to beat. We, we looked for a long time to find the space that was right for us. Uh, you know, it's got big exposed wooden beams. Uh, a lot of exposed brick, a uh, nice little patio. Um, so just, you know, we, we didn't want to just be in a strip mall. We wanted something unique and eclectic and sort of that fit with our brand. And uh, we've got some great employees out there, uh, a manager that moved from Rochester uh, out there to take over. And then uh, we, she's put together a really good crew. And I think Buffalo's, uh, you know, been really responsive, you know, better, you know, they've embraced us more than I could have hoped. And uh, Rochester's done the same. And you know, Black Button is just uh, so much bigger than I ever thought it would be, and it's kind of it's fun to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's every year. Every year I look back, and I I remember when we when we first met, and every year Black Button is bigger and better than it ever has been before. Um, I mean this this year you've had new new products as well, right? Yeah, we've act- we actually ended up slowing down the. Uh, the new product train a little bit, although yeah. 
we're going to be able to kick that back off again uh, once we so when we put the new still in, we also put a research and development still in. Beautiful. Um, because the problem was, you know, in the early days we had lots of time, so when we weren't making our normal products, we would experiment. Well, as we got busier and busier, it was harder and harder to break away from our normal production. And so we really sort of stopped with the R&D, but we have all of these ideas, um, whether it be a Loganberry gin or a gin that has the salinity of oyster shells um, and might go really well with you know a, a deep, dark stout. So I've got a whole bunch of ideas. I just haven't had the time on the equipment to work with it. <clears throat> and so now putting this still in with the sole motivation of being research and development, uh, I think you're going to see some really wacky things out of us. I just filed uh, a, a gin formula with the TTB with 112 botanicals in it. And, 112. Uh, I think that that's a few, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's pretty much everything that they that has ever been in a gin. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think uh, I think it's really going to knock some socks off when we get it out there. That's so. cool. And I haven't heard anything more Buffalo than making a Loganberry spirit. Yes. I mean that is screaming buffalo. Yes, and that's that's pretty awesome. And the the real irony is we were having a terrible time sourcing loganberries um, because we want to use fresh loganberries for it, and uh, we didn't just want to go to the supermarket. And one of my staff then came in one day and was like, "You guys know I have a huge like loganberry patch in my backyard," <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, we did not know that actually, but now we do." So. When will those be ripe? <laughs> right. Let, let's take those. Let's let's get them ready. Let's freeze them for when we are ready. Yes. And then we'll have some great fresh loganberries. Yes, because we were the only uh, place we were able to get to quote uh, the loganberry juice, which was what we originally were looking for, was a place out of California, and the minimum order quantity was one tanker car of 55,000 gallons huh. of loganberry juice. You know what? I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a great product. I'm sure it's going to be delicious. You probably don't need 55,000 gallons of Loganberry juice. I think we would need a very different marketing campaign to distribute all of that effectively. Oh, We could start painting buffalo in Loganberry juice at that point. Very sticky, though. Very yeah, sticky. Very sticky. Um, all right, so we're going to take a quick pause, and then we're going to come back and talk about this week's topic, which is we're going to talk about Manhattans. Yeah. We're going to mix up and try a couple different varieties, and we'll be right back. Black Button is having a summer special this weekend starting today, July 7th through Sunday, July 9th. You can kickstart your summer with new Black Button offerings, including new drinks at the cocktail bar, featuring interesting summer cocktails, including... Rhubarb, pink lemonade, pineapple, ginger, peach, and grapefruit concoctions. You can get a free tour of Black Button Distilling. Check out their Citrus Forward Gin, which Food and Beverage Magazine named the official gin of summer. And you can also grab bourbon barrel wood chips and blocks for your barbecue adventures. So stop by the tasting room at 85 Railroad Street in Rochester, or stop by their new Buffalo tasting room for some summer specials. And we're back, and through the magic of podcasting, we've got two fascinating cocktails sitting in front of us. But they're the same, but they're different. <laughs> Jason, why don't you talk about Manhattans for a couple minutes? Sure. So uh, Bourbon Manhattans have been around for well over 100 years. There's several stories about how they started, but they, they, one thing everyone agrees on is that they started on the island of Manhattan 
in New York City as one of the original cocktails. And uh, it's a very simple recipe. It's two parts whiskey, one part sweet vermouth, uh, a dash of bitters, and then usually some sort of a garnish, whether it be an orange uh, slice or a, or sorry, an orange zest or a cherry or something of that nature. Um, and Manhattans actually are an incredibly important part of Black Button's history because this is actually what I fell in love with and what made me a bourbon lover. Uh, so when I was a kid, uh, family dinners were a really big thing in my family. Every Sunday night, we'd go over to my grandparents' house and I would you know, watch as my grandfather would get the bottles down out of the cupboard and you know, pop the ice cubes out of the mold into the glass and measure out two parts bourbon, one part vermouth, shake a dash of bitters, and then he would, you know, sit that and sort of hold court over uh, <laughs> over family dinner. And so when I turned 21, what did I do? I went and got myself a bottle of whiskey and a bottle of vermouth, and I sat, you know, on the back of a little crappy patio in D.C. in one of those white plastic lawn chairs. Oh, drinking. those are nice. Yeah, I yeah. was super fancy. Absolutely. Um, and I would drink a Manhattan because that's what you did after a hard day's work. And, uh, and that's what ultimately made me uh, into a bourbon lover today. It's my favorite cocktail. It's what I drink at home. And uh, it's actually what our bourbon was designed for. Because I remember when we first talked, and even though bourbon was a little bit on the, uh, a little bit farther away on the horizon, that's what you talked about. You talked about bourbon and how much it was the focus of what you're doing. Yeah, it's always been my one true alcoholic love. Um, it's what got me into this, uh, and since it has to age, you know, and as you can imagine, the economics for a small company, you know, we've um, we've always made our vodka, our gin. We're very proud of those spirits, but mostly that's you know to keep the lights on while we're aging that bourbon in the warehouse and bringing it to maturity. So uh, so it's nice to finally have our you know we're on our tenth batch of the bourbon at this point. Um, you know, we're running right around 20, 24 months. Uh, so soon every drop will be over 24 months and then we'll actually be able to call it straight bourbon whiskey. That's gotta be an exciting milestone. It is. It is. And, uh, and we're continuing to expand that production. I mean, actually, if we didn't need to make more bourbon, we wouldn't have needed that new still. Uh, but we keep wanting to make more and more. I, I joke, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, that bourbon's a sickness because you'll spend all of the money you make as a distiller to make more bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's it's a great thing that, I mean, people have, you know, people have really latched on to aged spirits mm-hmm. uh, in a, in just such a great, strong way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you're getting, as you're getting towards that 24 month mark, you're getting that aged characteristic, you're building it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to be really exciting for you. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's a lot of fun to taste through it. We do all of our uh, barrel blending by taste. So, you know, we have to go through, taste every barrel. Uh, and most people don't know this, actually, but most barrels have a flaw. Uh, so it will either have, you know, no nose or it'll have no back end or it'll have too aggressive of an aromatic quality. And so our job is to go through and find 10 to 12 barrels that complement each other and ultimately make the finest batch going in together. Um, and so it's a tough job, but somebody's got to go through and taste all the barrels <laughs> in the warehouse. Yeah, and this uh, this is the time of year when all that uh, a lot of your big aging happens, isn't it? Oh yeah, no, the summertime is great for us. Uh, hot days, cold nights, uh, you know, makes the weather a little uh, goofy, uh, you know, for dressing and everything. But it's great for whiskey. 
Uh, you know, the hot days, the whiskey expands into the wood, and then those cold nights, it pushes back out. So the the unpredictability of Rochester's weather actually plays uh, very nice for me. That's fantastic. So um, let's let's get back to uh, let's get back to Manhattan's. We've got two varieties in front of us. Yes. Yeah, so I brought two different kinds of vermouth um, because one of the things that's interesting to me, and and obviously as a bourbon maker, uh, you know, I think the whiskey is very important. But for vermouth, I actually think the uh, the vermouth is at least as important. Um, and so I'm always sort of disappointed to see folks taking a really nice, you know, fifty or eighty dollar bottle of whiskey, and then making a Manhattan with like a four dollar bottle of vermouth. Yeah, and you know, there's there's kind of a time and a place for the uh, for the four dollar vermouths. Um, <laughs> I think that's a great way of putting it. Um, and you know, the the fascinating thing is that vermouth has so many different flavors to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got two varieties here, one I'm familiar with and one I'm not. Yeah. So um, we've got in front of us, we've got uh, Carpano Antica, um, which, you know, is probably one of the original, you know, trendsetters for fancy vermouth. Uh, comes in a liter bottle, you know, you'll find it for 25 to $35, depending on the liquor store. Um, and then we've got a more artisanal uh, New York producer, uh, Atsby Vermouth, uh, made down in New York City. And they actually make a couple of different varietals. Um, the um, the Atsby uh, one that we've got in front of us is actually their armadillo cake. So I hope no armadillos were harmed in the making <laughs> of this vermouth. Um, but they've got some kind of quirky names for a couple of their different vermouths. That's a great name. Hey, I really like it. Yeah. Not to be totally sidetracking us, but you want to talk about a great name, mm. Lord Hobo Boom Sauce. Oh, that is one. It's one. It's a great brewery. It's a great brewery, and that is a great name. It's a, just an awesome name. I don't know how you see that on a menu and don't just, yeah, I, I want that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a Lord Hobo Brewing out of Massachusetts. Everything I've had from them is delicious. <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely another thing to pick up if you happen to be out at the finer uh, establishments in town. Yes, yeah, but, I mean, it's, it's very interesting um, how much vermouth impacts uh, Manhattan's. Most people actually don't realize that vermouth actually is white wine, um, dark in color, um, aged with botanicals. Uh, you know, it's almost a cross between like gin and bourbon and wine because you take this white wine, you steep, um, you know, raisins and figs and, you know, candied sugar and bay leaf and oregano and um, cloves and all different kinds, lemon zest and. Mm. All different kinds of things. Um, See, I didn't know that uh, sweet vermouth was white wine still. Yeah. yeah. For whatever reason, because of the uh, almost garish color of some of the mm-hmm. uh, more bargain basement versions, I was assumed it was red wine. No. No, it usually, uh, usually picks up its color uh, from the actual botanicals that are aged in it. So, um, and then again, it, it's amazing the differences in taste. I mean, you know, the uh, Carpano, again, has a lot of rich fruit notes and cherry and raisin and dates. And then the Armadillo um, from Atsby, you know, a much uh, cleaner, crisper, you know, a, you know, a little bit more of a, um, of a bright, fresh fruit note. Yeah, and, the, you know, the color is very apparent as well. Yes. I mean, the Carpano definitely has, uh, it's got a certain richness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, it makes such a difference. They're both delicious in their own right. But 
it allows you to play a little bit. Yes. The one hits almost, um, almost hits some sherry qualities mm-hmm. when you combine them together. Mm-hmm. You get some of that bittersweet, bittersweet notes. Mm-hmm. And makes for a great balanced drink with very few ingredients. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things to me, I mean, Manhattans are so classic and there's so few ingredients and yet there's an infinite number of combinations in order to make uh, just some really interesting uh, drinks. Um, so I've actually, you know, obviously a uh, big fan of our bourbon, uh, made it specifically for Manhattans, uh, but I recently came back from Virginia where a friend of mine is making a smoked rye, applewood smoked rye whiskey. Wow. Um, and most people will tell you that, that I am not a rye whiskey fan. Uh, I find it a little bit harsh and abrasive for the most part. And if I were to make a Manhattan out of just that applewood smoked rye whiskey, it would be harsher than I was looking for, too peppery, too aggressive. But what I have found you know, in, is that I like an ounce and a quarter of my bourbon, three quarters of an ounce of this applewood smoked rye whiskey, and then an ounce of Carpano Antica and a cherry in there. And you can, you know, you don't, just because there's two parts of whiskey doesn't mean it has to be just one whiskey that's in there. Yeah, you could do, uh, you know, an ounce and a half of bourbon and a half an ounce of scotch. Um, You could change up the bitters, or you could have it be a cherry or a lemon zest, or you could use a dash of Grand Marnier to give it a little fruit note. So it's amazing for something as simple as a three-ingredient cocktail you can dramatically change the flavor and have totally new experiences just by subbing out, uh, you know, Fee Brothers Plum Bitters for Fee Brothers Barrel Age Bitters for their grapefruit or their mint. You know, there's just lots of options. So it's a very, it's a simple cocktail in many ways, although the flavor, the flavor uh, doesn't show that simplicity. Um, What are the things that people get wrong about Manhattans? Well, you definitely need to use sweet vermouth. Um, if you use extra dry vermouth, you're in for a bad day. <laughs> um, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Um, I, that's one that I, I see. Um, over dilution is probably, to me, the biggest crime for Manhattan. Um, you know, I, I usually will use just one ice cube. Uh, whether it's one of those big, fancy ice cubes or even, I mean, I, I'm a simple guy. When I'm at home, I don't have those big, fancy, clear ice cubes. Um, but you're, not car- you're not hand carving ice at home every night, Jason? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest. I, you know, I, I come off of like 12 or 14 hours of running the machines, and all I want to do is put my feet up and have a drink, um, which is why I keep the bourbon next to the couch. It's a great place for it. It really is. It's, it's such a, it, it just cuts down on so many issues. Uh, it's actually one of the reasons why I've decided I don't have a drinking problem. Absolutely. Because there's been several times I've been sitting on my couch, I can see the whiskey, and I don't want it bad enough to stand up and get it. <laughs> um, but, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day on concrete will do that to you. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, no, it's a simple drink. Um, I, I strongly recommend that people, you know, that they don't over-dilute it because uh, I really think you lose some flavor there. You, you can have it straight up uh, or on the rocks. Um, <clears throat> You know, I've certainly, uh, I think it's one of those drinks that if you invest in higher quality ingredients, you will get a better drinking experience. 
Uh, but I recommend certainly, you know, if, if you're not going to spring for good vermouth, there's not a lot of point in wasting good whiskey on it. Um, well, I mean, this this is the occasion. I mean, this is you you. A lot of times, people say you don't you don't buy the finer spirits for some of the cocktails because it gets covered up amongst all the other ingredients. Now, other people would disagree, uh, but this is there's no place to hide. There, yeah, there's not a lot going on. I mean, there's not a lot of opportunity to overcome it. You're not adding a lot of sugar. You're not adding a lot of fruit juices. So I would I would certainly agree that you know top shelf vodka is probably not needed in a you know vodka cranberry. It, I mean you know you you're going to notice if it's bottom shelf or top shelf. Of course. But there's a lot of mid range spirits that work very well. Um, you know for whiskey I think uh, I think you will notice a difference. You know especially in a Manhattan because there's so little in there. Um, and then some of it also is the even if you're not noticing it in the whiskey. As you're drinking it, there's the after effects the next day. You know, your higher priced uh, spirits are generally going to have a lot less propanol, a lot less of those additives. Um, you know, ever been to a wedding and noticed you just feel like shit the next day? It's <laughs> yep. not because dancing the YMCA all of a sudden makes it hit you harder. You know, the open bar was using bottom shelf plastic jugs and yes, you were. drank it. Um, so I, I think that quality booze is an investment. Um, you know, both in the experience, how you'll feel the next day. Um, and some of it's an investment in where you want to spend your money. I mean, obviously, I've got a biased viewpoint. Of course. Uh, I run a local manufacturing plant. But, um, you know, when people buy our products, they're supporting a sales rep that lives in Rochester who delivers those products. Uh, you know, seven production people who make their home here in Rochester, pay taxes, have kids that go to the public schools here. You know, we keep the money in the community uh, you know, our grains are grown, you know, less than an hour from here. So all that money stays in our community. Um, and so that that's the other thing where people are voting with their feet and voting with their money. Uh, you know, they're investing in Rochester and in Western New York. Um, you know, we've, we've now got 15 employees in Buffalo. Every bottle we sell helps pay for those folks. Um, and we're not sending the money to some far off, you know, conglomerate based in Paris or brazil or belgium um and i think people respond to that as well they want to invest in their local communities um and they want you know some of these destinations to exist because you know you you can travel to tennessee and see how jack daniels is made or you can travel to kentucky i actually highly recommend it the kentucky bourbon trail is fantastic but it's a long way to go if you want to stop down and see how these products are made you know local distilleries are really the only option yeah, and that's you know what the other the other great thing about it is when you've got a local product like this, you've got somebody making it on purpose. It's not just to meet everybody's palate, it's to meet your vision of what this bourbon is going to be. Yep. And in a cocktail like a Manhattan or drinking it straight, you can taste what you you can taste your vision yes. in a glass. Yes. I oftentimes say more with gin than with whiskey, but yeah, there there are some phenomenal gins out there that are not good in your standard cocktails. Our bourbon was designed for bourbon Manhattans. It's a weeded bourbon with a splash of rye, which is how I like my Manhattans. Um, you know, we age it specifically for that extra character, that extra kick. It's at 84 proof because it'll stand up to the dilution of an ice cube 
a little bit better than your run-of-the-mill 80-proof bourbon. I mean, everything about this product <laughs> was designed to be mixed with sweet vermouth, a, a cherry, and poured in a glass with one ice cube. Um, and you can drink it a lot of different ways, and I won't be offended if you do. You can drink it straight. You can drink it you know, however you like. But this is what we had in mind when you know, when we made each step of it. And, um, and I think that shows, I think it really pops in this cocktail and that's what I was going for. That's awesome. Um, and let's give people a quick warning about vermouth. Please store it nicely. Yes. Yeah. That actually is the other option there. So, uh, I actually have a really hard time ordering Manhattans out, uh, when I am, around town because uh, I actually believe that the definition of a, a high-end cocktail bar is uh, those who store their vermouth in the refrigerator. Um, it's a white wine. A lot of times it's a half bottle of white wine because you know they're going through it not that quickly. It needs to be kept cold. If you're drinking it at home, it should not be left on the back bar. It should be stored in a refrigerator you will get a phenomenally better product that, and you you can have a, a bottle in your fridge for quite a while. Um, it won't go bad. But if you're if you're not a big Manhattan drinker, a lot of the brands now sell half size bottles of vermouth. I strongly suggest people start there, a so they can try different kinds, but b so they can keep that that bottle super fresh, um, because unlike whiskey, which is you know very shelf stable, you know in temperate environments, you know just leave it on a shelf in a room. Uh, vermouth will spoil if not kept cold. Yeah, so that's it's a it's a great thing to think about because if you're going to go make your own Manhattans, he's definitely right. Go for your half size bottles, and uh, when you're out at one of your favorite cocktail bars or at your favorite tasting room, um, ask to try the vermouth. Find out what you like. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many different varieties. I mean, we had two fantastic ones here today, uh, which were again the Carpano Antica. Mm-hmm. Which was uh, very nice, and second one was our armadillo from Atsby, and that is a New York product. Yeah, which another great opportunity, and something I hope we'll see more of in the upcoming years. More people in our state making the product. Uh, I know for a fact that there's three different winemakers in uh, the Finger Lakes that are working on vermouth, um, but interestingly enough, it's a very hard product to scale. Mm. Um, so each of the botanicals that ends up in it has a different concentration curve and therefore making oh. one gallon or a hundred gallons is totally different. Um, I can tell you from personal experience that there's about 500 gallons of vermouth aging in barrels currently, hoping that that barrel turns it better because Lord knows we got the concentration curves wrong and what we made was not palatable at all. Mm. Uh, so one of these days you might even see a black button vermouth. Uh, we've got label approval, uh, but we haven't quite perfected the recipe yet. Um, but, uh, it's a very hard product to make. There's very few people in the world that make it. And, uh, it's a very closely guarded secret how most of them do it. Uh, so I, I think that's another example of a category that because they're not yet well understood, we haven't seen as many players as we can. And so hopefully someday there will be 10 or 20 New York state vermouths and we can mix and match with different cocktails and, and make a, a variety of different bourbons. Very cool, man. Bourbon Manhattans. Yes. <laughs> Starting to feel that. <laughs> yeah. See, I've, I've, I've been, uh, I've been going slow and I think, I think Jay's, uh, 
Jay, you almost finished your tier two. They turned out really nice. Yeah, I don't have any left. Which which is <laughs> which is the favorite of the two? Um, I am partial to Carpano Antica. It is the the vermouth that uh, that I would like to see uh, in a Manhattan whenever possible. Although Via out of California does a hell of a job as well. Mm. Uh, that's probably my favorite U.S. made vermouth. Um, and then there's some great Spanish vermouths. Um, that you really just don't ever see on the market. Um, Izagari Roja, which I actually have sent up from an importer in New York City, um, you know, for the ones I make at home. Yeah, I'm a vermouth geek. Very nice. I like it. Um, but yeah, th- there's just some phenomenal products that are just starting to roll out in the United States uh, that are big, big business over in Europe. You know, if you go to Spain and France and Italy, you know, they drink vermouth on the rocks. That's not a trend that has yet come to the United States. I think that's a great thing. I mean, if you can appreciate vermouth and sherry and all of these interesting wine subsets, I think you get a different appreciation for some of these cool flavors, these complex flavors, and all the opportunities they open up in cocktails as well. Definitely. So um, let me finish off with some plugs for Black Button. Uh, where can they find you on the social medias? So uh, if you're on Facebook, we're at blackbuttondistilling.com. Ooh, that really has affected me. So <laughs> if you're on our website, you're at blackbuttondistilling.com. Facebook is just slash blackbuttondistilling. And then on Twitter, we have blackbutton85 and blackbutton149, uh, blackbutton149 being our buffalo handle. Very nice. Yeah. So and uh, make sure you check out the tasting room. Tasting Rooms, both on uh, Railroad Street in Rochester. And Swan Street in Buffalo. Beautiful. Thanks for coming over, Jay. Thanks for having me. I may have to hang out a little bit before I head home. I think we can make that happen. (laughs) See you next time. Thanks.